Hi, I'm your host, Will Poole, and you're listening to The 77, a podcast where founders from the global south share their strategies and secrets for scaling their businesses. Have you wondered about the similarities and differences between startups in the world's fastest growing economies? Do you expect their challenges to be the same or different from those of Silicon Valley's best? This podcast is a means for you to get valuable insights into the world of Global South tech startups through meaningful conversations with inspiring leaders. There are 77 countries designated by the UN as Global South. At Capria, a venture firm, we have interest in more than 500 companies that are operating in almost half of the 77 countries already. Let's get started. Today, I'm speaking with two founders, both of whom run scaled ag tech companies residing in almost opposite sides of the world, Indonesia and Argentina. Getting a time on the calendar that worked for all three of us required a little work, but we made it happen. So my guests are Febri Gamal, co- COO and co-founder of Eden Farm, and Ali Larosa, co-founder and president of Agrify. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, Ali, let's start. Let's start, if you could, um, tell us what Agrify does, uh, how many people do you employ, and what's the most important thing you're looking to make happen with Agrify? Agrify is the leading marketplace in Latin America. We connect growers with merchants in all categories in agribusiness. We operate in eight countries. Our main two markets are Brazil and Argentina. We started like seven years ago. We have more than 800 thousand growers using our platform almost every day and i would say our main challenge is to make e-commerce grow in in this old industry and traditional industry and in order to do that we have to solve certain issues that are very characteristic of of this industry like for example logistics credit payments and uh, i would say that is our main challenge okay because growers don't buy inputs or machinery or any service that they use for their business the same way than consumers do their shopping so the type of solutions that we are building are tailor-made for this industry. Tell me how many people work in your corporate headquarters and how many work in the across the countries you operate in? We have 270 people right now. And our three main offices are between Rosario, Buenos Aires, and Sao Paulo in Brazil. We started in Rosario, that is like the Chicago of Argentina. In order to attract the best talent, We have our management team divided between these three cities. Perfect. Fabri, could you tell me what Eden Farm does, how many people you employ, and then what is your biggest uh, achievement you're looking to make happen with Eden Farm? Yeah, thank you, Will. Uh, Eden Farm is B2B fresh produce supply chain company in Indonesia. We connect farmers uh, with including hotel, restaurant, cafe, traditional culinary, wet market, and industrial customers in Indonesia. We operate in four big cities in Indonesia, Jakarta, Bandung, Semarang, and Surabaya. Currently, we have around 700 employees. Uh, I think the most challenge we face right now is how we can operate uh, this supply chain game in a very efficient way. Great. And um, you mentioned, so you're in a, a number of cities in Indonesia, but do you have any plans to operate outside of Indonesia? Not yet. 
because we are focusing in domestic Indonesia right now, Will, uh, because the market size is around 150 billion US dollar, Indonesia itself. I think it's the, one of the biggest country in Southeast Asia. So uh, after we uh, get a big market share here, and then we will think to go global. So plenty of room to grow there. Makes sense. And Ale, you've said you're in eight countries now. Your primary ones, there were Argentina and Brazil. Um, what has been the some of the biggest uh, barriers you have to uh, growing further? Is that a, is it a priority for you to be in other additional countries, or are you looking to predominantly grow where you are? We want to grow uh, where we are. We have three business units, and the first one is bringing merchants with a listing model. So we we allow them to to list their products and connect them with the growers. That business unit is very scalable in any market, but what we, uh, our purpose is to build transactional and fintech services on top of that listing business model. And for for developing those business units in every country, we, we need to adapt our solutions. That's why we want to focus in the markets where we are operating right now first before thinking in, in bringing the company to a, to a new one. That makes sense. Good, good to understand. I want to change gears a little bit and hear about how you think. Let's start with February. Um, what is a, a recent business decision that you made that you are really proud of? I think switching from uh, hyper growth mode to profitability uh, mode is one of the, I think, best decision recently. Back in 2020, we start to switch from low profit product to more profitable product. We increase the our fresh goods sales composition to around 60 to 70% from our product mix. Let go the low AOV customers and open a hidden collection facility aggressively to dominate the supply to win the market. I think that's the best business decision recently. And I bet I bet your investors are proud of you for doing that too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ale, how about you? What's a, a recent business, business decision you made that you're really proud of? Until last year, I would say that our mindset was a growth mindset. And this year, our mindset is a profitable mindset. And that is very easy to say, but it's very difficult to change while you are operating because we had a corporate culture of of growth. And this is something we completely changed very fast during this year. And I think that we will keep in this mode at least for the following three, four years. This next question might play into that last question answer, um, but I'm interested if you think about both from a business and personal perspective, what is a, a capability or trait that you have that's been really important in your life? I would say that the capability to learn, to keep on learning, like a, it's a habit. I always think that I can learn from any person, any situation, any problem. And I always open to and thinking how I can learn from each challenge that I face. I also think it's a habit because I I spend a lot of time reading, analyzing, asking people that I suppose is going to help me. Great. February, let me turn this one to you relative to entrepreneurs. What, what, what do you think is a trait that an entrepreneur must have to be successful? I think... As an entrepreneur, uh, have a strong mentality, good communication skill, 
and also have a hustle spirit. Very important to be a success entrepreneur and supported with a good analytical thinking and structural thinking will be help us to make a better decision, a business decision better. You agree? I completely agree. I would add, especially if you live in South America, to be resilient, okay, and and be able to adapt, but especially to be persistent in following your your vision and executing and being able to adapt to a very changing environment. Uh, that's, that's a good addition. So back to your point around learning, I think we've all identified over time that we typically learn more from failures than from successes. And so we talked about two things you're both proud of, which was shifting from growth to profitable growth um, or profitability. What are a business decision you regret and what did you learn from that? I prioritize speed over analysis and making the best selection possible. Every time I, I try to prioritize speed, I tend to commit a mistake. I understand that all the time that you think you won, you actually you lost, lost it all. You, in yeah. fact, you, you have lost more than yeah. what you won. Uh, good one. Fabri, how about you? I think what I regret is to focus on revenue growth and hiring people too quick, too many. I think that's what I regret. I think the key learning is every startup must have path to profitability. I think steady growth is more important. Great. Well, we're going to come to that, that one even more in a few minutes. Go ahead, Ali. No, that the question would be, because I, all, I also regret a little bit how we executed in the last, for example, three years, because I now, with the current market situation, of course, I would have managed our investments and execution in a different way. But at the same time, I need to be honest. We have investors and we have a, an investor market and everybody was prioritizing growth. Okay. So somehow, if, if we had prioritized maybe profitability over growth, maybe we wouldn't have reached the goals that we have reached in terms yeah. of expansion, uh, investments. Uh, it's, it's not so easy to go completely against the market because we are not alone, because we are not fools. And somehow we thought, hey, we should be more careful or, or our pace should be different because we need to learn how to, for example, launch this business in this country. But at the same time, we had competitors that they were raising capital to do the same okay. thing. So somehow... The whole market is, is demanding this as well as your investors. February, did you, did you have some similar experience on uh, being driven by either your market competitors or your investors to grow faster than you wanted? Yeah, of course. Very depend on the situation we face as a co-founder of the startup. Yeah, dilemma between hyper growth and the path to profitability. I'm agree with Ali. We must balancing it. Great. Let me, let me talk to you both about investors. Capri is very happy to be investors with both of you and proud to be along the journey with you. You've obviously worked with many investors to get where you are. I'm guessing that you have some experience with investors that you like better than other experiences. And I want to ask, what is one thing other than capital that you most seek from your investors? What's most important to you? How they could you start? I would say that transparency 
empathy, I think that for an entrepreneur, it's very important to feel that your investors are aligned with your interests. So when we are discussing a business plan or a, an important decision that try to set uh, expectations in a very transparent way. A startup grows so fast that, you know, in two years you have a board that is your governance, the governance of your company with people that maybe you, you met once or twice in your life. So it's very weird, this mm. thing. It's, it's not the same mm. way that most companies grow, you know, that, with, that they know from a very long time. So to build that trust for us is very important. Maybe because we are Latin American people and for us, trust is very important that you can uh, speak directly mm. in an open way, that they are not second intentions. Uh, that's for us is very important in order to bring to our board. February, what, what do you look for beyond capital? For me, beside the capital, I think network for foreign investors, uh, network for future fundraising will be very valuable. And for local investors, the domestic network for us, like such as uh, government relation, local knowledge, network related to agri-industry, and also the network of their portfolio. So we can make mutual uh, partnership with their portfolio. So uh, networking to, uh, to really help you grow your business and connect uh, to others that can be part of that growth story. So let me change to uh, the, the real topic of this conversation now that we've gotten to know your businesses and, and a bit about how each of you think is to talk about some of the challenges that each of your firms are facing around uh, attracting and retaining top talent. I think that particularly in the world of uh, you know, pandemic recovery and uh, globally uh, remote or hybrid work, uh, these problems are on every entrepreneur's mind. Uh, so let me start and just say, how important is it to you, um, February? Uh, of the top five concerns that you have as the COO, um, where do you rank uh, hiring and retention of uh, top talent? I think I will put number two. The number one will be having a good company strategy. But in order to detailing, sharpening, execute that strategy, we need top talents, good people. Ali, where does it rank for you and keeping you up at night? From my experience, I would say that talent is more important than strategy. Culture is more important than strategy because with the right talent, you can always change your strategy. But if you don't have the right team, you can have the best strategy, but it would be just an idea without execution. And I also prioritize execution over ideas. So you subscribe to the adage that uh, culture eats uh, strategy for breakfast. But neither one of you put uh, put fundraising at the top of your list, which I'm a little surprised because if you don't have money, then you can't hire your talent. Fundraising, are you, are you both at, at a point where you feel that you, gain, you have adequate access to funds and therefore you're more worried about culture, strategy, and talent? Or, or is fundraising really number zero and you just didn't mention it? Well, you, you know that a startup is a, a plane that you build while you are flying, you know? So you need to bring both things at the same time. So that's what entrepreneurs mission <laughs> and uh, what we do. So you need the right team in order to bring investors. And, and then once you, you raise capital, you have to grow your team. And it's both things at, at the same time. But I would say it's very difficult to raise capital if you don't have the a good team at the very beginning. Then we can discuss which size, maybe are two or three 
founders <laughs> team, but you need that in order to start. I would say that you start with the right people and, and then that's the first brick for, for me. So is it hiring the talent that's new that you need or keeping the key talent in place? February, which do you worry about more and, and which do you struggle with most? I think in current situation, uh, new hiring is more challenging. Actually, uh, Eden Farm currently is not doing hiring that aggressively. We do hiring carefully, but to get the very good talent, the top level talent is kind of hard to find. Uh, we need to use Headhunter and Referral. Most of of our top talent come from Riverall, from our existing employee. And and also new hiring, we need to make sure that the talent is fit with Eden's culture and work ethic. That's the, the challenge. While keeping the talent, especially the, the top uh, talents, uh, will need more than salary and benefit. For me, a good vision from the co-founder or the leaders will impact to the top talent and also a good culture and a good challenge in their daily job will retain the employee better. Let me go a little further with you on this in February. Um, what do you think is makes it most difficult to find the right people? Is it that the employment market overall is just very tight and you know not much uh, enough talent available? Or are there particular skills that you need around either engineering or agricultural uh, aspects of distribution? or what do you think or that, that makes it hard? Usually they're not looking for a new job. So it's hard for us to find them from the job posting. So the referral will more make sense. But other than that, yes, the unique skill is one of the challenges because in Eden Farm, in agri-industry, finding talent with specific skill in agri is harder. Well, I was going to ask, the can you hire smart people and teach them or do you get people that already have domain expertise? Sometimes... We're trying to balance it. Uh, we uh, find the smart people and we train them to fit in agri-industry, can. And if we want to uh, find the agronomist, for example, we need to find the one that already understand about the industry in agri. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's great. I, I want to go back to Ali then. Is your pain point around bringing in new talent that meets particular needs that you have in terms of their knowledge of agribusiness, or is it really in retaining the talent you've already got because you're being poached and, and so on? No, the same challenge. Um, I think that it's more difficult for us to find the right people. Let's say traditional positions like finance, talent, IT, it's bringing and, and retaining it's the same level of difficulty. But regarding our business positions, our main challenge is to find because we need a very weird combination of tech and industry knowledge. And it's not so common in agribusiness. It's very difficult to find. And the same question to you. Do you think though you can take somebody that understands agri and teach them tech or somebody who understands tech and teach them agri? Or do you have to find somebody that's already learned that unique combination on somebody else's uh, account before? We try both. I think that depending on the position, but for, let's say, sales uh, positions, for example, uh, it's 
it's better for us to bring people from the industry and teach them uh, tech capabilities. But it's very difficult to learn an industry in a few months. And also connections are very important for those positions. So, for example, if we have a machinery category leader in Brazil, we need someone to manage the machinery category, okay, to work with machinery companies to help them sell through Adrofy. So we need someone from the industry sure. right, that, ha that has worked in the industry for many, many years, that, that has connections and certain experience maybe in digital marketing or in any digital project or that we understand that that can learn very fast how to use digital tools in order to help our customers so so that is a fastest way to to put the, the right people uh, on place for us i divide it i divide it okay the team in two different challenges for example if you if we are talking about someone uh, from the tech team, the position from the tech team, BI, UX, infrastructure. In those positions, I would say that the challenge is to attract and retain at the same level. Let's talk about e either for retaining or attracting new. Um, what are three specific things, February, that you have done that you, you put into place and, uh, and, and you hope will, will pr provide good results? For e either for attracting new or for retaining what you've got? The number one will be uh, salary and complete benefit. So we need a competitive salary. Complete benefit like uh, health insurance, dentist insurance coverage, psychology counseling facility. And the uh, second thing is having a good culture. So in Eden Farm, we have, we have four main culture, integration, innovation, improvement, and I care. We have tagline together we grow as a family uh, we have activity to support the culture like uh, we have eden social club we do monthly town hall we have fun room and other fun activity to support that culture and the third one will be uh, we have people development team that provide a training program to employees uh, every member of eden farm uh, grow so, uh, Ali, what are some things either for your challenges around uh, attracting new or retention? What, what are three things that you've put in place that you feel are, are very promising? Besides corporate culture and, and compensation package, I would add employment brand. We have worked a lot to position Agrofy as a very, very good place to work not only for tech talent but also for industry from people from the industry and the different categories people that uh, have worked in, in the input category or farms category or equipment and, and that they believe that this industry is changing and moving towards digitization and that agrofy is leading that movement so that strategy has helped that a lot to to attract uh, those people and have their interest to work with us. Uh, after that, of course, you need the right culture, the a very very competitive compensation package, and a startup always need to pay the risk for people that are working in, in more stable and companies to 
to leave their jobs and take the risk of a startup. So, and in this particular moment, I would say worldwide, where the tech industry and the agribusiness industry are very, very, very hot, you can't avoid having the a very competitive compensation package. But if I could repeat back what I'm hearing you say is that you've all those things are what we call table stakes, like get the comp right, get the culture right. But you're saying you, you're really working to build a, a brand of leadership of change. And you use that brand as a way to attract people who want to be part of that change leadership. So is that right? Completely. And we involve and commit our people to build that brand. Basically, you, you, make, all, you make all of your employees be brand ambassadors. Exactly. February in, in Indonesia, you're you're actually doing some significantly innovative work in supply chain and cutting out multiple layers of, of middlemen. Are you positioning the company the way that Ali described as a uh, as an innovator and disruptor and using that to attract people? Or and how, how does that play for you and your hiring and retention? Uh, just recently, uh, our uh, hiring and people team trying to make a brand uh, a good brand. Uh, like Ali said, uh, we're trying to find the people that fit with our culture, which is the people that want to help farmers, uh, want to help uh, agri-industry in Indonesia will uh, become better than now. That's what we are looking for. Well, to our earlier discussion around learning from mistakes, I'm curious if you either of you have um, put some things in place that you had high hopes for, but that didn't work out. And were there any learnings from that? Uh, we ever did uh, uh, like a promotion program, internal promotion program, but uh, we promote people too quickly. And the result sometimes not as expected. And then because we need more people and more people back then, we, we hijack talent from other startups, a button out the talent is not that good or maybe not fit with Eden culture. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it didn't work because everything has happened so fast. So we lack of time to have proper evaluation. So so moving too fast and hiring without a focus on cultural fit. Two, two good things to avoid is what you're saying. Good. Yeah. Ali, any things that you've uh, stubbed your toe on? I think that when you are in this blitz scaling mode where you prioritize growth, the more more common mistake that you can commit is I don't know if hiring people without the cultural fit. I would say when you don't have a, a clear strategy and you need to adapt to pivot while you are executing, is to bring people that fits in a certain strategy when you know that maybe you will have to change during what you learn okay so i think that that is a mistake that i would try not to commit again when we are for example when we were launching agrofy in brazil brazil is a very complex market we thought that we could use all what we have learned in argentina in brazil okay so we hired people that fit into that business model and it was not like that, and we had to change in the in the meanwhile while we were learning, and some people couldn't adapt, okay? And, and that made us lose a lot of time because 
sometimes you have to change the team and so I maybe I think would have been better to hire people that maybe were not exactly what we needed, but that had the capabilities to learn and adapt while they were executing. Fabria, I've heard some leaders uh, comment that A, players, they're your best, best players, they don't complain, they just quit. And I'm curious if you agree with that, if you, you experienced that, uh, and if so, do you think it applies in in your company of your size, or is it really a big company problem? Yes, we are, but especially for the lower level position, usually. So the talent that uh, work far from the office, especially, tend to just quit without complaint. Yeah, but for the talent of uh, from the higher level position, and they uh, if they have good relation with the company and their leaders, usually they tend to talk first to the leaders before they confirm to quit. Ali, how about you? So there's a cultural statement here too, right? Yes, I agree. In Latin America, we tend to be more open and discuss everything. So <laughs> I think that especially in people that are in in medium positions and in high positions, uh, we tend to know when when they disagree and they, they have space to speak up uh, what they think. If, if someone leaves without any alert, it's because they, they have a very, very better options. And Let's pursue that for a minute. So but both of you, I'm sure, have lost some key people over the last couple of years, and you probably think about, well, what, what could I have done differently? So uh, other than just pure financial package, are there other things that you think come to play that have caused people to leave? Ale? I think that, honestly, the key people that we lost, especially in the last 12 months, I think it was because they couldn't adapt to this, what we talked before, this changing a strategy from growth to profitability. I think that when you start to these new discussions of efficiency, focus, paybacks <laughs> of the projects you are executing, it's not for everybody, especially for people that they came to a company that that was just hiring and and building. I, I wouldn't say without focus, but without putting this efficiency analysis on on top okay so february how about you a anything that you've learned from losing key people actually i completely agree with ali i think uh the ability of the employee to adapt with the company strategy with the company culture sometimes see or he not fit with the leaders cannot work with the leaders or even fail to achieve the target uh, so he or she decide to leave the company. And sometimes too, uh, uh, not about the financial offers, but sometimes having better career opportunity uh, outside is one of their factors also. Sometimes they want some level of position, not higher salary. Yeah. So a pr promotion or, or, or a perceived or an actual step forward in their career can attract them even irrespective of the financial package. I've got one last question for you guys that are people that are not in the tech world. They look on the Silicon Valley 
uh, perks of uh, free meals and massages and benefits and all this crazy stuff. But people that are in the in the game say, hey, this is what what it requires to attract and retain people. And then, of course, we now have to move from this uh, uh, growth at all costs mindset to uh, to profitable, sustainable growth. And I'm curious from a people perspective, from a hiring perspective, from a uh, managing a large and growing team perspective, do you think that the the excesses that were introduced by the the tech companies over the last ten years or so, do you think those are are gone, or uh, and do you think they'll come back as profitability comes back? We have always tried to be very consistent. The the message that that the leadership of a company to their team, it's it has to be you know very clear and and without uh, this type of contradictions okay it's very difficult to to talk about uh, efficiency or and at the same time spend money in things that people will think hey if you are going to do that uh, i i prefer you improve our compensation package but after saying that you need to be also careful not to cut everything because it's not everything the same at the same level i would say okay there are certain benefits that i believe that are here to stay okay from home office to certain for example we we provide a shim pass solution for people that they want to take care of their health or i think that this type of solutions are part of the compensation of, of, of the people. So I don't think that that we are going to cut these benefits. They are something like a bonus, okay? It's, it's part of the compensation package, okay? But again, if you are talking about, we have to take care of how the company expends its money, you need to be consistent in, in not doing things that people will think, hey, these guys, you got to squeeze an extra half a point out of your margin and work really hard for that, and at the same time have uh, really excessive benefit packages that seem wasteful. No, that's a good, great point. Fabri, how about you? Do, you? do you think that I actually I don't don't even know did the uh, the sort of excessive packages that that you've seen in in uh, Silicon Valley and like did those make their way to Indonesia and and are they uh, are they on their way out and might they come back? I think it depends on the excessive benefits. So Indian Farm uh, never give daily free meals to employees. We just give a free meals once a month while we are having monthly town hall. I think it's better we allocate more benefit to better insurance benefit, car allowance maybe uh, for high level position, build more fun activity. I think for me, for my perspective is give more significant impact to retain and attract uh, employee, make a, a benefit is match with employee needs. Well, fantastic. Fabri, Ale, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really glad that we managed to make all the calendars work here across uh, quite a few different time zones. And uh, it's very, very interesting to hear the contrasts uh, and, and actually probably quite a few more similarities than differences in, in how uh, each of you are building your company. So. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed learning with me today. I have one offer for you and two easy asks. 
First, if you're looking to connect with any of the hundreds of amazing entrepreneurs in the Capria Founders Network, or with our local and regional investing partners who collectively manage over a billion dollars in assets, head over to capri.vc slash podcast. Second, please be sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And third, please share this podcast with anybody who think will benefit from the insights shared today. Today's episode was produced by Atri Unipasna from our talented team in Bangalore, India. Thanks. See you next time.